Hey there, folks. It is Jason. I'm back with Whatsoever is True. And this one is a state of the church. I'm calling it the coward and the Christian. I know, pretty pretty heavy. So let's just get started and we're going to go over this. This is going to be hard hitting. I'm going to give you a trigger warning right away. This is not going to be for the faint of heart, but this is not a time for the faint of heart. Okay, so let's get right into this. And be clear, the church hasn't acquitted itself well in the last year and a half. In the face of illogical and tyrannical government overreach, the bride of Christ has basically rolled over and shown her yellow belly. When it was time to stand up for the sovereignty of Jesus Christ, we wanted to be liked by the, by the cool kids. We wanted to be liked by the cool kids. And we started cussing and making dirty jokes to let the in crowd know that we weren't just uptight fundamentalists. So what's the big deal, right? I mean... We didn't know any better. <laughs> but seriously, uh, if, if we didn't know any better, you know, watching the evangelical church over the last few years, we'd think that mean tweets were a greater sin than, say, abortion and tyranny, right? I mean, so, though I'm going to be doing this and, 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 and being sarcastic with it, I do need to make sure you understand that this is a needed correction, so I'm going to start calling some people out right here. One of them is the Gospel Coalition and the other evangelical cool kids. Uh, Tim Keller, John Piper, yep, I name names, have, been so, have so bent themselves into theological pretzels to prove to the woke left that they aren't what they say they are, that they forgot to be what Christ says they should be. By that, we mean people that preach against sin. And anyone who can't distinguish between a mean tweet and say, you know, a city burning down due to, wink, wink, protests, has his theological panties on a bunch. I know this is sub-language. I gotcha. I, I know that the cool kids in the pulpits need to hear it, though. To spend more time badgering those who battle over our tone rather than actually battle the sin that's ravaging our land is evidence of the evangelical church's lack of a sturdy vertebrae. To wit, the church has, in the last 22 or 23 months, seen an unprecedented rise in government tyranny, lies, and corruption. Where have the thunderous pulpit-pounding sermons gone? Where have they been? Double mastectomies for a teenage girl who's being lied to by culture into thinking she's a dude? Oh, well, stay away from that landmine. We don't want to be accused of being mean. But what about tax money to, so that Planned Parenthood can continue its genocide? Sex trafficking? Violent and hypersexualized music on our kids' Spotify playlist? What about government banking corporate corruption through that unwieldy Frankenstein monster called the Federal Reserve? Does the church care about that poor dude who's working all week and watching inflation chew up his paycheck while stock prices go through the roof? Has anyone in the church read what the scripture says about dishonest scales? Do they even care? Do they understand it? When was the last time you even heard a sermon about monetary policy? I mean, you'd think that the Bible has literally nothing to say about money, property, and law. You'd think that Jesus is Lord of your little and precious heart, but leaves the details of life to the adults. That is, you know, the bankers, the Fossies, and the Pelosi's. Empty shelves, in truth, that's not a supply chain problem. It's called shortages. And shortages, inflation too, by the way, for those keeping score on anything that's not a Marxist playbook, are due to socialism. And socialism is an ungodly attempt to enshrine the civil magistrate as God. Socialism isn't bad because it doesn't work in practice. It doesn't work in practice because it's evil. 
claiming for itself godlike powers not delegated to it by scripture, eviscerating property rights, by the way, socialism is based on, in case we missed it, a complete rewrite of the Eighth and Ten, command, eighth and tenth Commandments. This is part that's just most maddening. With the rise of socialistic thinking, the church is fundamentally silent on the issue so long as people are trying, in the words of Tim Keller, to care for the poor in different ways. He says, in fact, and I'm paraphrasing Keller, that there are different ways. The Bible doesn't say specifically how to care for the poor. He means to conflate that with socialistic schemes of redistribution of wealth. But what is a criminal other than a redistributor of wealth? So the government can break the commandment against stealing, but the individual can't? Keller's confusion is absolutely preposterous. When was the last time Keller, Piper, and the legions of Nice preached against that? When have they said, ah, socialism is evil and it's based on covetousness and theft? Hmm? But they don't because they don't want to irritate the left, perhaps, or maybe they don't know. We're not sure. But the big thing is the, the minions of Nice don't want to irritate the woke left because they don't want them to leave the church in a huff. They're so worried that sinners won't like Jesus that they forget the sinners need to repent to Jesus. Unlike Paul, who was so incensed by the ubiquitous idolatry of Athens when he happened upon that fine city, that he confronted the thought leaders with the truth, our mewling appeasement pastors dare not call out the false messiahs of sex, feminism, race hustlers, big government, big pharma, etc. Notice how Jesus never started a conversation with the Pharisees by saying, well, you do have a point. The Great Commission isn't given to those who negotiate the Lord's authority. He's Lord. He's the standard. He's the final everything. Sin is the problem, and unless we speak to the world about Christ and sin, we aren't really walking in love. If our reasoning doesn't bring the unbeliever to the cross, we're probably doing it wrong. And if we think that preaching transgenderism to our children is no worse than mean tweets or presidential pride, hello, Mr. Piper, your spiritual Wi-Fi isn't working. A church that doesn't want to hear the law of God isn't a church. A pastor who preaches to itching ears is aiding and abetting the enemy. When we need mighty generals of the word, what do we have? Right now, we need Christian Pattons and Shermans. Instead, we have a thousand General McClellans torturing us with appeals to everything but victory. Well, we need to hear what they have to say. We do hear what they have to say, and they all lead us to false messiahs. We, they all lead to a lack of personal accountability and calling sin love. While this isn't an appeal to deliberately offend sinners, one can't help but offend them when preaching the good news because it's always preceded the good news, always preceded with the truth about sin. There is no good news without the bad news first. So yes, this is a backhand slap across the adulterous cheek of the American church. It sorely needs it. To have meekly acquiesced two years ago to shutdowns from the messianic state would nary a peep of protest or concern that perhaps this wasn't biblical is evidence of its unfaithfulness. Haven't we watched history at all? Don't we know the abject destruction of the doctrine of the total state? Instead of saying the state has no authority over the bride, we timidly kiss the ring in the name of public health. When I preached the truth of the matter two years ago that the economic fallout would be worse than the disease, and just wait, this is going to keep getting worse. Think inflation is bad now? But anyway, because when I preached this, that the solution was worse than the problem, 
because you can't stop production and print trillions of dollars to cover it up, I was treated like a heretic. When I said that two weeks to flatten the curve was really two weeks to see if you were actually living by the word, I was attacked. Think about that for a second. I was the problem, not the magistrates who dared quarantine the well with the sick, violate property and civil rights, enslave millions to irrational mandates and fear, and never, not once, show any humility in the process. <clears throat> the question, do you think there's a less intrusive solution to this, was taken to mean, you don't care if people die. Well, that's certainly a Christian thing to say. And when I questioned whether or not the civil magistrate had the biblical authority to do what it was, has been doing now for almost two years, I was told flatly, we have to obey the governing authorities. And when I reminded them that the rest of the verse says, but there are no authorities except from God, and an authority that gets to define its own authority must be God, not the state, I was looked at, again, like a heretic. Moving forward, as I wrote when this whole mess started, America is careening down a mountain road with no brakes, heading for a spectacular mashup of judgment through the consequences of idolatry. This is what happens when we try and live in the world God created as though there are rules that don't apply to him. It's always this choice before us. Did God really say? What's been more than evident since March 2020 is that too many Christians fear everything but disobeying God, and they've never heard of Romans 4.3 or at least don't think it applies to anything but Sunday morning. Indeed, the myth of neutrality is deadly. And incidentally, Romans 4.3 means, it states, what does the scripture say? The mark of the Christian mind is that whenever something comes up, any particular in a very diverse world, the Christian mind goes, what does the scripture say? That's the key. So, let's be clear. Let's be blunt. Freedom is in Christ. Christ sets us free. Sin is slavery, which is why men generally hate freedom. It's icky. You can't predict it. We want security of the state. It's the secular humanist state, not the civil magistrate that's in service to God as his minister to punish evil. Now, we're commanded by Paul in Romans 13, as he describes life in the gospel age, to, quote, owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. That's Romans 13, 8. So let me ask you this question. Have you stopped to consider the implications of this definition of love? Have you? This one? This is scripture. In all sincerity, not attempting to be you know, hyperbolic, uh, it would appear that the modern evangelical has allowed the world to define the categories of life, especially in this case in love, for them rather than letting God do it. The evangelical leaders haven't bothered to confront the woke world about its abuse of the word love, and that's evidence of its infidelity. Now watch, Paul doubles down on this in Romans 13.10 when he says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. What this clearly states, but which the church recently has been rather loath to admit, is that God's moral law is the basis and standard of ethics and love. The issue we face is that secular humanism teaches us that love emanates from within us, not God. Watch that. Watch how you think of love. Is it something that comes from you, or is it something you're reflecting out from God, like the moon reflecting the light of the sun? Who's the source of love? The biblical truth of this means that our feelings are not standard of love, not 
God's immutable law word if it's secular humanism. If it's me, it can't be God. And if it's God, it can't be me. So let me think about that for a second. If real love is a feeling that I have, then it's really nothing because my feelings change. Okay, right? If real love is a standard known only to each person, not objectively existing in the transcendent God and his immutable character, then I can say the opposite of what you say, and guess what? I can call it love. I can demand that you give up your freedom in the name of love. I can demand that you go bankrupt and or become a ward of a state in the name of love. I can say that tyranny is love because it's a tyranny of health. I mean well, after all. I want everybody to be well. In this case, love is, is adultery, right? Love is fornication. Love is what humanism says it is. God is the one with the problem if he disagrees with my definition of love. Do you see, therefore, the stakes of this whole thing? Do you see why I'm being kind of stern? Because to appease a woke mob is to call God a liar. It's exactly like this that we ended up with the nonsense such as the shutdowns, mass mandates, and all that. All in contradiction to the word of the Lord. See, these problems were in existence before this started. The pressure simply revealed the deepest positions we had. So when the entire COVID stuff started, it was simply assumed that the civil magistrate had the authority to shut down churches and businesses. Most people in the churches hadn't thought about it to their everlasting dishonor unless they repent. See, well, they shut down some businesses. They didn't shut down all businesses, right? I mean, you couldn't die if you went to the grocery store, but you could if you went to the gym. It was for public health, they said. Never mind that the quarantine of a sick is one thing, but the quarantine of a healthy is quite another. And the burden of proof to do such an enormous thing should and must be upon those advocating for such historic usurpations. Notice how there was never any humility or reticence from the health bullies. They didn't reluctantly do the things they did. They did it proudly. They did it while patting themselves on their moral back. They were sure that your business should be closed. They were sure you had to stay home or else the greatest health threat in, the world, in world history would kill you and others. Interestingly, in case you weren't sure what was happening, just a few months after the whole mess started, these same health experts and politicians said that the world's deadliest virus, in history, by the way, absolutely shouldn't keep tens of thousands of people from protesting in the streets against racism. Guess that? When the protests started after George Floyd died in Minnesota, the same experts who said that COVID would kill us all if a gym was open or we went out for a hamburger or went to the ball game said that tens of thousands of screaming people in the streets was now okay. COVID apparently was, is, history's first smart virus. It bandies about seeking to infect and kill. I kill you, I kill you, old lady, old man, I kill you, I kill you all. Oh, wait, excuse me, racism. I stand down. Carry on. I'll go stalk those losers at church singing hymns. You see, that, dear reader, was the clearest sign you, you're ever going to see in life that you've been had, wondering what was really going on, wondering who to believe. Well, that was it. We couldn't go to church and sing praises of Christ, but could go and yell against systemic racism. COVID cares. COVID is apparently left-wing. We can't have it both ways, though. Either it would have killed us at the gym, the restaurant, the ballpark, the church, and the protest, or it wouldn't. If the protests were okay for any reason, any at all, so was worship of a true and living God. Where, oh where, Christian brothers and sisters, 
have the apologies been? How many pastors have repented for having shown their belly? Clearly not enough. In fact, they've shown a most unmanly capacity for abuse. Having been played so soundly on the shutdown, they showed no fight at all. You'd think that such an open contradiction would have gotten their attention. But they didn't want their attention to be gotten because they liked the state's power. They liked the security of the state. They liked the slavery of Egypt, not the wilderness where they followed the Shekinah cloud. The fact that 10,000 corpses weren't Litter in the streets after major cities were left smoldering in ruins amidst the riots and protests, COVID having apparently taken a few weeks off. Hmm, you know, that should have alerted everybody to the con. Keep wearing a cloth mask to keep out the killer of ages, which is, unless our minds are wrecked by sin's invasion, like fighting off a bear with a spork. Oh, and then get the jab. Hmm, uh, it will keep you from getting the virus. Okay, no, it won't, but it will keep you from giving it to others. Okay, it won't do that either, but it will keep you from getting really sick. Unless others haven't been jabbed, I guess, somehow. Wait, and then, ah, here, have a booster. That will stop you from getting a variant. Ah, uh, oops. Look, a Kardashian. This is, what this, is, this is what's been happening. In all, the Church of Jesus Christ is to be a church of truth, though, right? That's why this matters. To be okay with all of these lies is not okay. When someone tells us not to worship together as a church and it dehumanizes us by demanding we cover our faces and those of our children, puts us in house arrest and calls it safe at home, and then demands that we take a drug we don't trust, all in the name of love, it's time to resist. See, contradictions happen. Okay, we're all wrong sometimes. Yeah, all right, fine. God's word isn't. And we're commanded by him to love the truth and resist lies. We're commanded to repent when we arrive in error and sin. We're commanded to abhor what is evil, not to make excuses for it. So stand up. Stop being afraid of a woke mob. Stop playing not to lose and remind yourself that if you aren't fighting sin, you're losing. We weren't called to be friends of the world, but to preach the gospel to it. Stop being a Christian doormat for the bullies. Call out their idols. Call out the false messiahs of our time, the critical race theory, the scientific government pharma media alliance, and all that rising tyranny. Go on. Stop being afraid. Stand up. This is our time to shine. Christ allows the fires of pressure and conflict to refine his bride. Those false lords everywhere are simply Jezebel in new clothing. It's still her. She's wearing a new robe, a woke robe with rainbow colors and coexist written on it. But it's her, make no mistake. Resist her, and the enemy will flee because he can't touch the true men and women of Christ. But those that are his must show their mettle. They must show it now by accepting the pressure and standing against the new world order. It's another Tower of Babel being built in our midst. The new high priests are in white lab coats, and they're in classrooms teaching kids about the sins of others while glorifying the Savior of his state. Guys, this is our fight. It's on right now. Go. Choose this day whom you will serve. And remember, always remember, that love means telling sinners about Christ. It means presenting the hammer of the law, along with always the inestimable beauty of the forgiveness of sin in Jesus Christ. It means living a life for Christ wherever you are, at work, at home, 
driving in your car, wherever you are, you live for Christ. Coram Deo, you live for Christ. You are Christ. You've been redeemed by Christ. You were dead. You were crucified, dead, and buried with Christ and risen again with Him. So, if you've been there, if you failed, if you've been one of these appeasement pastors or appeasement parishioners, if you failed Him, if you've been duped, that's okay. Repent and turn back to Him. Judas went to the Pharisees in remorse, remember? And there was no restoration there with the enemies of God. The Pharisees didn't try to restore him. They mocked him. Judas hung himself instead of going back to the disciples and the Lord. Peter, on the other hand, jumped in the water and swam to the Lord, who then wonderfully and lovingly restored him in the sight of the others whom he had betrayed too. Our Lord is merciful indeed. Go to him. Run to him and pray for courage. He doesn't promise it to be easy. Instead, he promises persecution and trial. But fear not. Fear not, he says, because he's overcome the world. Let us never forget this, nor the immense honor of being persecuted in his name. For blessed are you when all men speak evil of you for his name's sake, not for being a bully yourself, not for being deliberately obnoxious, in his name, but for living in his name, living for his glory, and not accepting the myth of neutrality, and knowing that he's Lord over everything, public health, civil magistrate, your work, your home, and yes, your drive back and forth. He's Lord of all. And the principles of scripture are there to guide us. And we give him glory and honor when we rest in them. So that's it for today. And uh, that is my state of the church. <laughs> And hopefully you are encouraged by this. And uh, I certainly encourage our brothers in Christ. And I've called out some, some big hitters, but I called them out because I do think they need to be called out. And I do that in Christian love, of course, because I believe that, that real love is, again, fidelity to the gospel, not fidelity to the woke mob and the false messiah that is modern leftism. Sure, Jezebel is alive and well right now. She's out there again. She's wearing a woke robe. Let's just repeat that really quick, which is why we need to call that out. And we need to be ever vigilant against it. And what does the Lord say in Revelation? That you tolerate that woman Jezebel. We are not to call her anything other than what she is. Any ideology that calls out, even if it calls out a verifiable sin. And yeah, of course, like racism is certainly a sin. Absolute sexism is really a sin. Yes, it is. They are. Absolutely. But the solution has to be Jesus Christ. You can't fight sin with sin. You can't fight sin with idolatry of a state. That's the idolatrous woke mob, and we need to resist it, and we need to be savvy to it. We cannot be allies with unrighteousness and still name the name of Christ and still be a faithful bride. Well, that's it. God bless. Hope this was edifying, and hope the Lord blesses this message and blesses your day mightily. Thanks again.